Welcome to the VVV Podcast. In today's VVV Deep Dive, we are pleased to welcome Uma Roy, founder and CEO of Succinct Labs. Today's Deep Dive is hosted by Andy, VVV's CRO. Succinct Labs' mission is to build a decentralized, permissionless, and open-source interoperability layer for Ethereum and other platforms. Their focus is on providing a better-trust-minimized bridge architecture based on their novel Proof of Consensus via ZK Snarks. The bridge security is based on verification of consensus by light clients of a source chain and the execution layer of a target chain. Succinct uses the Sync Committee, which is a random subset of 512 Ethereum validators that rotates every 27 hours. So, let's this get started. This offers less security, Welcome but it's good to enough our for VVD a light deep client to verify session the today of the chain. With um, Succinct Labs, I have the pleasure to welcome Uma Roy, founder and CEO. Hi, Uma. How are you? Hi, I'm good. How are you? Good, good. Thank you very much for joining today. Yeah, definitely. So, Uma, when I follow crypto Twitter, I hear regularly of bridge hacks and each time about losses in the hundreds of millions of dollars. So, to me, it seems like the, the cross-chain interactions are currently the weakest spot in the web free space. Would you agree? Yeah, definitely. I think some of the biggest hacks we've seen in this space, whether it was the Ronin hack for 600 million or the wormhole hack or the Nomad hack or the Harmony hack, there's so many at this point, it's hard to keep track of, um, have been in cross-chain uh, bridging and cross-chain bridging related. And uh, those are a lot of the biggest hacks we see. So I think it is one of the most important problems in the space for sure. Definitely. And that's also the reason why I'm so excited to have you on today, because Succinct Labs is targeting exactly one of the major issues here yeah, with those cross-chain interoperability uh, solutions. So I would say before we, we dive into Succinct Labs and the protocol telepathy, uh, maybe you uh, could give a short intro about yourself and your background and what inspired you to to start the project at the beginning? Yeah, definitely. So I think I first got interested in ZK uh, maybe around like two years ago. Um, I used to do like a lot of math and I think a lot of the ZK snark stuff is very math heavy and just was very interesting to me um, technically. And yeah, I got interested in the space started like reading the paper started implementing some stuff started playing around with some of like the languages and ways to construct these constructions uh and then how we got our start at succinct was gnosis chain which had recently been renamed from xdi chain uh wanted a trustless bridge between ethereum and gnosis chain and they thought this zk bridge with this succinct ethereum light client was a good way to get this bridging and so that's what we ended up starting to build. Uh, we kind of showed that it was like possible to build this succinct light client for Ethereum using ZK Snark. So you have basically a gas efficient light client that you can use to do trustless bridging between Ethereum and Gnosis chain. And then after we built that, we kind of realized, okay, this principle actually applies for all chains, right? Uh, not just Ethereum. And so that's kind of when we decided to start succinct and start working on that for um, all chains and, you know, generally spread this concept of ZK bridging. That's amazing. Yeah. It's, it's a really interesting concept and um, maybe to understand and highlight the benefits of your solution, could you give an overview about the current problems that the legacy bridges have? Yeah, so most bridges today are kind of something of the forum. You have a user who locks up assets on one chain and then a centralized entity, generally a multi-sig of people, will be watching that chain for deposits into their deposit contract. And then on the other side, they'll mint you tokens, like wrapped versions of the tokens that you deposited on the other side. 
Um, and they're basically signing off that you did deposit into this contract. And then on the other side, it can be minted. So generally, these bridges that are secured by these multi-sigs are insecure because you're trusting these group of people to, you know, accurately record the deposits and accurately sign off on withdrawals. So reasons they're bad is like, it's not censorship resistant, right? Like these people can basically arbitrarily decide not to mint you the money on the other side or just take your funds from the deposit contract. Um, so it's not censorship resistant. It's not permissionless, right? Because like the group of people in the multi-sig is guarded. And then finally, you know, it's not actually secure because if these multi-sig keys get compromised, then they can use that to basically take all the assets in the deposit contract. So for those reasons, it's not like a super great solution. Uh, and so, But that is kind of like what is being done for most bridges today. Uh, because it's the easiest way to bridge money, right? It just requires a multi-sig of people. Um, so yeah, that's like the existing landscape and kind of why it's bad. I see, yeah. Yeah, it, it doesn't fit into the whole picture of, of decentralization, yeah? If you have such a weak uh, spot between the, the secure chains, yeah? So that doesn't make sense at all. So I'm, I'm really curious yeah, to learn more about your solution. So could you tell us more about the high-level overview about uh, your application, your protocol, telepathy? Yeah, definitely. So our fundamental thesis is if you kind of look at what is the best way for two blockchains to communicate with each other, the answer is, well, one chain should just verify the consensus of the other chain. So like if I'm bridging from Ethereum to let's say Polygon, Polygon should verify that Ethereum has come to consensus on some state of the world. And then once you know about Ethereum state of the world, you can verify the user did deposit into this deposit contract and then you can do stuff on the other side accordingly. Uh, so this is like a pretty popular model of bridging. It's called light client bridging, right? You're basically running an Ethereum light client, which is just verifying Ethereum's consensus as a smart contract on the other chain. And for those of you that are like, know a bit about Cosmos uh, ecosystem, their whole interoperability is based around like client bridging and they have this protocol IBC that basically lets you do like client bridging from one Cosmos chain to another. And it's kind of baked into the protocol of all these Cosmos chains. So our okay. thesis is like, okay, we want to do like client bridging because like client bridging is kind of like the best way and it's most trustless. But the reason it's hard is that running a like client on chain is like very computationally expensive because you have to verify these different signature schemes. You have to verify that the validators are actually accurate. You have to verify all this stuff. Uh, and so like client bridging is kind of the solution, but it's very expensive. And so that's kind of where the ZK snarks come in. So very similar to how people are scaling execution with ZK, right? All these ZK rollups like Polygon Hermes, Squirrel, ZK Sync, Starkware, um, all these ZK rollups, they're scaling execution by using the succinctness properties of ZK snarks, which is this cryptographic primitive that lets you do verifiable computation. In the same way, you can basically do you can apply these succinctness and scaling properties to verifying consensus. So what we do is we take all the computations you would do in verifying a like client, and we put them in this snark proof. We generate the succinct proof. We verify that on chain. And so verifying the proof is cheap. And then we can run these like clients very efficiently on chain. And then that's how you can actually do this like trustless bridging. That's amazing. So basically the, the CK tag is was the missing piece yeah, in the in the in this concept yeah, to make it uh, real. Yeah, yeah exactly. Mm -hmm. Interesting, interesting. So uh, maybe we could uh, dive more into the technical details. Um, could you give us, let's say, an overview about the architecture of the different actors in your protocol? So what is required yeah, to, to set up such a solution? Yeah, so the architecture is there is a smart contract uh, on the, say you're trying to bridge from Ethereum to Polygon. There's a smart contract on Polygon that's the Ethereum light client. And that gets updated with these succinct proofs and it verifies these proofs 
and then it keeps track of the Ethereum state in its storage. So what in updating that smart contract, what that involves is just basically updating the uh, storage with these proofs. And so you need someone to gen- generate these proofs. Um, and then you have another contract that is like your messaging layer. So you like send messages on Ethereum and then you have like the message execution contract that basically when it goes to execute a message on Polygon, it'll call the like client smart contract. It'll verify that using the like client's block headers that the storage was like this stuff actually happened on Ethereum and then it'll actually execute the message. So that's how you do kind of like arbitrary message passing And then with arbitrary message passing, you can obviously like also do bridging. You can have your bridge contract that sends a message on the other side to say like, okay, mint some like wrapped version of the asset. Uh, And then in our system, it's everything, all the components are actually permissionless because again, everything's verified by math and cryptography, right? So anyone can generate the proof and submit an update to the like client. Anyone can relay their message. So it's like totally permissionless compared to like, the existing bridges where, you know, you need one of like the five multi-sig members to sign or you need a few of the multi-sig members to sign off. In contrast, this is permissionless because what we're verifying is this like cryptographic proof that the actions actually happened on the other chain. So to speak a little more to like what our current product is, so telepathy is a messaging system that lets you send messages from Ethereum to any other chain. So what it has is it has a smart contract that's an Ethereum-like client. And then what you can do with it is you can send messages from Ethereum to any other chain by, you know, sending to our sending contract on Ethereum and then executing those messages on the other chain's smart contract. And it's verified with the Ethereum-like client on that other chain. I see. So you always run a light client on the target chain. And which, which uh, chains are currently supported? Yeah, so we have Gnosis, Polygon, Avalanche, Finance Merchant, Optimism, Arbitrum. Um, and it's really easy to deploy the system to any new EVM chain as well. Okay, well, pretty impressive. Yeah, <laughs> congrats. Yeah, that's, that's a, a huge deal, definitely. So is it, is it uh, complicated to add additional chains? So you, you spoke about EVM compatible chains what about non-evm chains is there an option to do this as well so for non-evm chains uh it's not super difficult you basically have to write a smart contract that can verify the proofs and keep track of the like client so that's not that hard um and then you have to like do the message execution so generally the hardest part of the system is maybe just um you know, writing these contracts, but once it's done once, it can be reused. So I think it's like not that difficult, um, but we just kind of haven't gotten around to it. I see, I see. Yeah, really, really interesting. So um, maybe for a better understanding of the of the entire process, could you walk us through, uh, let's say, an interaction from an user that uh, want to transmit something on his dab um, and until the message uh, ends up on the other chain so that we can get uh, a better understanding about the the different steps between. Yeah, so basically say you have like a dab on Ethereum and then you want to, and then you have like another part of your dab running on like a cheaper chain like Gnosis chain or Avalanche or Polygon. Mm-hmm. So our user is actually like, it's not like an end user, it's a developer who would have a dApp. So what they would do is like, say you have your, say you have a game um, and your game is, the game logic is running on a cheaper chain like Gnosis chain, but your NFTs in your game are on Ethereum. So you might want to do, have something like, okay, if the user has this particular NFT, then they can unlock this like in-game feature on Gnosis, right? So that might be like some part of your game flow. So if you're a dApp developer, you'd have some like NFT contract on Ethereum, which is nice because, you know, there's a lot of great NFT support and tooling for Ethereum. 
And then you would take that DAP um, contract. And then, for example, if the user, you know, was able to get an NF- has an NFT and then was like, okay, now I want to unlock this feature in the game, you'd have a smart contract where, you know, it would first check the user has the NFT and then it would send a message through telepathy. So just call telepathy.send and it would send the relevant message to your contract on the other side. And so then on the other side, your game contract, which maybe has your game logic on like Gnosis Chain or something, uh, it would basically receive the message from Ethereum. It would say, okay, this game feature has been unlocked. And then it would like carry out the logic on the other side. Uh, And so that's kind of like the flow we imagine for a lot of DApp developers is like they have some state on Ethereum, maybe the high value parts of whatever you're building are on Ethereum, or maybe your governance is on Ethereum. And Ethereum kind of becomes this like central liquidity hub. And then where, you know, important pieces of state are contained, like whether it's your assets or something. And then your like maybe your other logic that's more computationally expensive is on a different chain that's cheaper. And you kind of use telepathy to send messages from Ethereum to these other chains. I see. I see. Yeah, they, that opens many new use cases. Yeah, I, I think especially also in the DeFi space. Yeah, that's that's really interesting. Um, I've seen you have you have uh, off-chain actors. Yeah, that are important in the in the whole uh, structure. So you have the operators and the relayers. Um, could you tell us a little bit more about their uh, functionalities and? Uh, who who runs this infrastructure? Yeah, definitely. So the operator is someone who is generating the proofs and updating the like clients. Uh, currently, we run an operator, but again, it's permissionless. Like if you look at the like client smart contract, there's no only owner or anything like that. Uh, and so we run the operators, but in reality, it can be anyone who's running these proof, like generating these proofs. Um. And so there's operators who are basically responsible for updating the like clients. And then there's the relayers who basically watch one chain for messages and then relay them on the other side. Uh, We keep those two roles just like separate, um, even though they're kind of doing similar things in the system, like they're off-chain actors that are updating contracts, just because it makes it kind of similar to reason about like the operators just updating the like client and then the relayers are like for the messaging layer basically. I see, I see. So everyone can run operators and relays in future. So that's... Uh, yeah, or like even right now, the code nest for it is not, we haven't like open sourced that yet, but uh, the smart contracts are all like permissionless. Like anyone can submit these like updates as long as you submit like the correct transaction information because it's all verified with, you know, these Merkle proofs or with these snarks. I see. I see. So what are the, the incentives to run uh, operator relayer? Yeah, so right now we just run it because we want, um, you know, we want to support our customers who are using our system and they like pay us basically to run these things uh, for them. Uh, so the idea is kind of like, even though they, you know, there's certain people who are using our protocol and while they could run these actors themselves, generally it's a bit of a pain to like have to run these off-chain actors and keep them alive and monitor them and maintain them and like set up all the infrastructure. So they just pay us to run them, which is why we run them. Um, in the future, though, I think we are thinking about adding some sort of like fee system and gas system where like people pay basically a fee and then you have some like decentralized group of relayers or operators who uh, get paid uh, and these fees to actually like submit these updates. I see, I see. Yeah, that would be my next question. Yeah, what's the, the economic model yeah, for the protocol? So you see in future that the user will pay uh, a certain fee for each, for each interaction, each transaction? Yeah, I think basically you're paying some fee to like send the message um and so yeah i think that would be we're still like thinking about what fee system makes sense and how to architect architect it and structure it so that it's like easiest on the developer but yeah basically some fee system for sending messages i see i see so from a from a user perspective um 
will I as a user um, recognize uh, telepathy or will it be more a infrastructure background thing that connects the chains and the, the user itself uh, do not even recognize it? Yeah, I think right now with the messaging, it's not the users who are sending messages. It's more the developers, right? Like it's the dApps who are using telepathy as for infrastructure to make your multi-chain dApp. So that's kind of like what we're focused on. Um, so it's possible that in the future we will have our own dApps. Um, but yeah, for right now, it's like mostly a developer-focused product. I see, I see. So also your target audience is more developer-related, I guess, yeah? Yeah, exactly. So um, my last question was, uh, how, how will you attract new developers yeah, to build on top of, of your protocol? Do you have any, any uh, concept already in place, how to work with them? Yeah, so I think uh, we already have like a few people who are working with us. So Gnosis is an early partner the Gnosis chain ecosystem, and then Across Protocol, which is a liquidity layer, is also an early partner. And the reason they want to use us is pretty simple. Um, they really care about security. They really care. They really need sending messages. They really need security. But you know, they can't. Existing protocols don't give them the kind of security that they want. And so, for that reason, they're using us, and just for like the security benefits that we provide. Uh, so if developers want to use this, like we are live today on mainnet to all these chains I just described, um, you can read our docs, you can try it out. Um, and then if you want like extra help or support, there's our discord. And then also like you can sign up for our early partner program or basically we just like help you get onboarded. Um, but yeah, using the system should be pretty easy and self-explanatory. So, but of course we're like really excited to help out people who want to work, like use our things. So yeah, there's joining our discord or like early part or signing up for our early partner program and reaching out. Um, and then generally we just like help those people out. Um, but yeah, the protocol is live today. So people can already start playing with it. That's, that's a big advantage here yeah, that you already have something in place here yeah, that the, the developer community can test and use. Um, do you have already some larger partnerships with uh, projects in place or how early are we? Yeah, so I think, as I, as I said, um, Gnosis is the Gnosis ecosystem. They, I think, uh, are a newer chain, but they're trying to become like this Ethereum um, kind of test, not testnet, but they're an Ethereum clone chain so they have the exact same architecture as ethereum um which is like really useful for people kind of like deploying their apps and dApps um and wanting to test it in kind of like a lower stakes environment before going to main that uh we actually use gnosis a lot we basically use it as our test net it's super convenient because it's really cheap but it has like a lot of the other kind of like ecosystems and apps. So it's like really easy to kind of test your application if it interfaces with other protocols because they're already deployed there. So which is awesome and it's super cheap. So we are working with Gnosis to basically power their native bridge. So their bridge that mints the currency on their chain, which is XDAI, uh, we're working with them to basically add a layer of security to their native bridge. Their native bridge today is just a multi-sig bridge. And I think the Gnosis founders like care a lot about their bridge security because their native bridge has a lot of TVL. And so they are working with us to basically secure their native bridge. So that's one of our big partners. And obviously they were kind of the original reason we started working on this anyways. Um, so yeah, it's like awesome to continue working with them. And then our other partner that's using us, that's a big protocol is Across. So across is like a liquidity layer that has done over a billion dollars in volume. Uh, it's a liquidity layer that basically, you know, lets you just do native to native assets on all chains. And as part of their liquidity layer, they need message passing. So they need to send messages from chain A to chain B. And we're helping them send messages from Ethereum to Avalanche and Ethereum to Binance Smart Chain. So that's uh, another big partner that we're working with. Um, and then we have a few other developers that are using us for a few different 
use cases that are kind of different. So um, one use case we're pretty excited about is governance. So for example, governance is usually conducted on ETH L1, but then maybe you want to transmit the results to different chains if you want to control your deployments on different chains. So for us, governance is like a really good use case. Uh, and then for some other applications, for example, there's like chain link oracles on L1 that are really useful that people want reflected on other chains and they can send that information through our messaging layer. Uh, and then finally, there's like some use cases around like registries. So like ENS, for example, their naming registry is on ETH L1 or WorldCoin, they're gonna have their registry on ETH L1 and they want some way to have that registry reflected on all the different L1s. And so it's really easy to use us and have that registry information reflected on the different chains. So yeah, those are like a few. So we have, you know, two kind of bigger partners and then a few other pretty interesting use cases by like uh, smaller developers. That's amazing. Yeah. So it, I, I like that the, the project vision yeah, is much broader yeah, than just to replace uh, bridging. So there are really many unique use cases, yeah, in my opinion. Yeah. So that's really exciting to see. So talking about your vision, yeah, what, what is your future vision for succinct, let's say in, in the next three to five years? Where will you be in that time? Yeah, I mean, I think crypto is a really interesting space where things move very fast. So it's always hard to talk about three to five years because the space has only been around, what, I guess, for... It's like 30 years in real life. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah exactly. So I think, like, in the short term, at least, we really want to kind of remove the need for these multi-sig bridges. We think the current state of bridging is pretty bad uh, for all the reasons we discussed. And obviously it has a lot of issues. And so we want to remove the need for multi-sig bridges. And so keep on working on, right now we have this Ethereum-like client, but keep on working on these ZK-like clients for other chains and then connect all the chains together in this way um, with these like succinct-like clients powered by ZK Snarks and totally remove the need for all multi-sigs in bridging. So kind of like, I think the long-term vision is like, if we're successful, all messages and all movement of value and data information across all chains should be secured by what we call proof of consensus, not multi-sigs. So that's kind of like the vision. And that's one we're actively working towards um, and working on. And so I think, you know, that'll obviously be a long journey because there's a lot of different chains, a lot of different consensus um, that we, we have to connect. Wow, yeah. So you are really a humble person, yeah. So that's this is huge, yeah. <laughs> If this come to flourish, it's it's massive, yeah. And I think it will solve a, a billion dollar problem, yeah, that we currently have in the web free space. So I'm I'm really really confident that we need such solutions, yeah, to also build trust into the decentralized uh, applications, yeah, because the I think mass media always jump on those news, yeah, that there was a hack with 500 millions lost and this vulnerability was exploited, yeah, and so I think that's a, a very important uh, puzzle piece, yeah, in the whole picture, yeah, to to get also the the Web two space, yeah, interested into into Web three. Yeah, definitely. I think the bridge hacks are not only bad for the users who get directly impacted, and of course that's already bad enough, but I think it's also really bad for the reputation of this space as a whole to see these headlines that, in my opinion, are pretty avoidable, like we, because the current way we do bridging is really bad. Mm -hmm. I see. So in, in your opinion, you mentioned that uh, you will replace those, those uh, standard breaches. Is there any reason for keeping legacy breaching? Is there a specific use case or a specific reason why they will survive? So I think one interesting thing right now is that the people with the multi-sig bridges, they say it's like faster and cheaper. And I think while that is actually true, um, 
in the short run, although ZK technology is getting better and better by every day, and there's like a lot of rapid progress in this space. Um, I think in the long term, there's not necessarily a reason because you can have these like liquidity layers or like optimistic fillers or things like that. Um, that basically can do stuff that's faster, uh, that is ultimately settled by ZK, if that makes sense. So if you look at a lot of these liquidity layers like Hot Protocol or Connect or Across or whatever, what basically happens is people optimistically fill you and then later everything's settled in this ZK layer. So I think these ZK snark powered proof of consensus messages will be the settlement layer and then on top of that you can do kind of like the faster better user ux uh solution uh so i think in the long run that is kind of the goal now of course in the short term like before we can have the zk settlement layer uh you know it is still you might still have to do like multi-sig methods for directions that aren't available um but yeah, that's kind of like my opinion is I don't, I think with this solution and if the technology gets there uh, over time, there should be no more need for like multi-sigs. Mm, that sounds great. Yeah. I hope that day is, is coming soon. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I think Perfect. it's much needed for this space. Definitely. Yeah, definitely. So, um, yeah. So when, the audience also want to, to drop some questions. Yeah, please just uh, leave them in the comments and also like and retweet to spread the word about this really important and interesting project. So you've mentioned uh, the proof of consensus before. Could you tell us a little bit more about this concept? Yeah, so what we call... Um, our ZK snark proofs that power the light client. What it is, is it's a succinct proof of consensus that the validators have come agree to a certain state of the world. And so we just call that for short proof of consensus. Uh, we think it's like kind of a nice name for, to describe this concept as opposed to like ZK snark, you know, powered light clients, which is kind of a mouthful. It's just like proof of consensus secured bridging is kind of our terminology for it. I see. Okay, great. So I will just check if there are some questions also from the audience, because we have always good question from from our sharks and whales here. So let's see. Yeah, Joseph has a question here. What's your approach for implementing upgrades on the protocol? Will it have to go through governance first or does the team control the access keys? Yeah, so that's a really good question. Um, so for upgrades, like very similar to how rollups right now in Ethereum world always will need to upgrade uh, when the underlying execution upgrades. So for example, the EVM adds a precompile or the EVM changes like some way they compute the state route. And if you're a rollup, whether you're an optimistic rollup or a ZK rollup, you'll always need to upgrade your rollup if you want to be EVM compatible. Um, uh, we similarly, when there's changes in the consensus layer, we need to upgrade. So actually recently there was the Chappella upgrade. Um, so that was Shanghai on the execution layer and Capella on the consensus layer that necessitated a small upgrade to our messaging layer because it changed the structure of the Merkle proofs. Uh, and so we actually did need to do an upgrade um, on our messaging system. The currently, the way our upgrade works is we have a time-locked seven-day uh, upgrade path. So we send out an upgrade, and then after seven days, the time-lock executes. Uh, currently, the upgrade mechanism is a multi-sig on each chain by our team, so we have to sign off on it. But I think in the future, we imagine that there would be some sort of like decentralized governance mechanism for conducting these upgrades and making sure you know, we're not doing anything bad. Uh, pretty similar to how I think the optimistic rollups are also either currently have or will have in the future some sort of decentralized governance for upgrading their rollup logic. Thank you. Thank you. So Joseph has another question. Um, how many transactions are including per batch on the Ethereum side? And how 
long is the proof generation time? Yeah, so the proof generation time is not super long. It's like one to two minutes. Um, and then what was the other question? Um, how many transactions will be included per batch on the Ethereum side? Oh, I see. Um, so generally what happens is we update. So Ethereum's consensus protocol basically has this concept of finality where after two epochs, a block is considered finalized. So each epoch is around six minutes. So it generally takes around 12 minutes for a block to be finalized. So what we do on the destination chain is we just update once every epoch. So we'll update, this is the latest Ethereum state on the destination chain per epoch. Now for some chains that are a little more expensive, we do it a li little less frequently. So However many messages are sent in that epoch is kind of like the size of the batch. Um, but we don't really have like a set number, if that makes sense. It's just like whatever messages are sent during that epoch end up being verified against that update in the light client. Mm, okay, okay. So what are, what are the, the costs on average to, to transfer a message? Yeah, so for a message... Um, to verify the message, it's around like 200k-ish gas on the destination chain to like verify all the Merkle proofs and stuff. Um, mm -hmm. And then to update the light clients, it's maybe around like 300k gas. So that happens like once every six minutes, but it can also be more rare if there's like last messages. Um, okay, I see. And yeah, Joseph has also... Additional part of his question, will you be implementing recursive proofs from day one? Yeah, that's a great question. So recursion, for those who aren't like familiar with it, is this really powerful ZK technique where you can verify one ZK proof in another proof. Uh, you might ask like why people would want to do this. And the reason is it's super powerful because it lets you aggregate an arbitrary amount of computation in one proof. So for example, say I have a proof uh, of consensus for one chain and a proof of consensus for another chain. I can aggregate them into one mega proof that has for the same verification cost on Ethereum, uh, a proof of consensus of both chains, which is like a very powerful primitive. So recursion is something we're actively working on for our new proof of consensus mechanisms. Uh, recursion, I would say, is like it's like a, a little newer technology on the ZK side. So like obviously for our current protocol, we're not using it because we care a lot about like security and making sure things are battle tested. But for our new stuff, we absolutely plan on using recursion. I see. I see. Thank you. Um, there are many other interoperability solutions currently yeah, on, on the market like layer zero or XLR or you also mentioned Cosmos IBC. So could you could you tell us a little bit more about the, the benefits of telepathy compared to, to the other solutions? Yeah, definitely. So I think IBC is like very spiritually similar to what we're trying to do. But of course with IBC, you kind of need it baked into your chain. Um, so like all the Cosmos chains come bundled in with IBC, but if you're on Ethereum, Ethereum doesn't implement IBC spec. So what we're kind of working on is basically this way to like build IBC or an IBC like like client bridging without needing it to have it bundled into your chain. Um, so compared to IBC, I think we're like pretty spiritually similar, but IBC is basic, very Cosmos centric, whereas this is like very, you know, Ethereum centric or just in general, like any ecosystem can kind of adopt it, which is nice. Uh, compared to like something like layer zero, layer zero's protocol is just like, a, basically it's like a multi-sig that they run and maybe I think it's like also involves a chain link Oracle or something, but it ultimately still is like a very centralized solution. Uh, like in layer zero, you need like a permissioned Oracle updater you need like permission relayers uh, to preserve the security. So I think layer zero isn't really like someone we view as competitive because they don't necessarily provide like the same security properties and trade-offs that, you know, people would want. Uh, it is still like very centralized. 
Axlar's model is pretty interesting. So they have like this chain in the middle, their axillar chain that uh, is responsible. So instead of having a multi-sig of signers, they have this like chain in the middle that signs and like is responsible for signing stuff and is accountable. So Axlar is interesting because it's like a more advanced kind of multi-sig. It's this like dynamic network of validators. I think ultimately, I still think the ZK approach is the best because if you're using Axelar, you're relying on the economic security of their chain in the middle. And so it's still ultimately an economic security type um, argument. So for example, if you're trying to bridge between Ethereum and Polygon and it's going through Axelar, you're ultimately security is the weakest link proposition, right? So like you're still going to be bound by the security of Axlar. Whereas like the true way for the chains to talk to each other is to just only care about the security of both chains and nothing else. And that's what the ZK like client gets you is just like, okay, we just have a chain in the middle. We are sorry, we have no chain in the middle, just the two chains that are involved are just directly talking to each other and verifying the proofs. And there's no like intermediary. So I think Axlar is definitely an improvement on the multi-sig design. Um, and it is probably more secure, but you ha do have this chain in the middle, um, whereas the ZK approach is just like the most direct, most native and like least additional trust assumption way to do bridging. I see. Interesting. So what, what is the, the closest competitor that you identified so far? Our closest, I think it depends, yeah, how you define kind of competitors. There's people who are trying to do the same kind of end things of sending messages, but not with the same security properties. And then there's like some other companies that are trying to also do this concept of ZK bridging. Um, and I think there's like a few other, those are like more small startups, I would guess, kind of like us. Um, so more new. Um, but yeah, I don't think there's like an existing com person in the space that has the exact same like security properties that we kind of offer because doing the ZK stuff is, is very difficult. I see, I see. Do you think this will be a winner-takes-it-all situation for this kind of technology? So like like Chainlink is the, the yeah, major player for oracles because no one else dares to use something else because there's a high risk involved. Will it, yeah. will it be a, a similar situation yeah, with your project? Um, I think, you know... I, I hope that people really like using us and most people will use us if we can provide the most secure solution. I think one thing that's really nice with the ZK approach is like, sure, even if people use our protocol, it still is truly a protocol. Like it is actually very permissionless. Anyone can generate the updates. Anyone can set, like send the updates. For example, in Chainlink's case, right, it is this like trusted network of node operators in the Chainlink network. And so... Chainlink can censor, Chainlink can do kind of bad stuff. Um, and so with us, like just because we're building what I consider a true protocol and that like, you know, we can't really censor the protocol because anyone can generate these proofs um, because it's all based on public inputs that, or that are the outputs of consensus. Um, even if we are like the very dominant solution, which, you know, I hope that people do adopt it. Um, there's always like exit from the system because anyone can operate the system. It's not just us, which I think is like a really nice property of a lot of these ZK uh, based systems. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I understand. Yeah. So there is another community question uh, that is related to this topic of, of censorship. So I, I have understood that, uh, yeah, real censorship is not, not really possible to modify the data, but The question is, how can you ensure that the relayers won't delay or, or hold back some messages? Yeah, so again, like anyone can relay the messages. So if you're using our protocol and you want to run your own relayer, you absolutely can. If you want someone else to run the relayer for you, then, okay, you have to like pay them or something or otherwise incentivize them. Um, but the idea is like, If you want to run your own relayer with the latency that you want, then it's like totally possible. I see. I see. Yeah, I think then 
also the the incentives play a major role yeah if it's attractive for for people to to run relayers or operators yeah then there is also some some competition yeah here in that aspect yeah i think that's yeah, that's healthy like, yeah yeah to like relay the message the fastest or do it the cheapest yeah mm -hmm. will you introduce uh, your own token there or will it be a cut of the of the uh, yeah base base uh, asset that gets transferred or how will this will this happen yeah i think we haven't thought a lot about like the fee mechanism or how that's going to work so yeah i think that's like something we're thinking about for the future but haven't thought about it a lot now i see i see yeah talking about uh, the the development progress um Could you tell us a bit more about the roadmap and where you are standing currently? Yeah, so the roadmap is we've launched this on mainnet and we're, you know, we have a few users and always trying to onboard more developers to using the product. And we think beyond just like token bridging, there's like a lot of other interesting use cases like this governance or like on-chain games or... Um, you know, reading Ethereum state on other chains that are like exciting use cases. Um, so we're kind of excited about developers exploring those that kind of just go beyond just like the token bridge. Um, so that's like kind of our short term roadmap is like encouraging and helping developers use this initial product. And then we're also very actively working on proof of consensus for other chains to start bridging information back into Ethereum and having more connections. Um, and so we're like thinking a lot about implementing proof of consensus for other chains and figuring out how to have the solution where developers can send messages from any chain to any other chain. Interesting, yeah, perfect, perfect. So how, how big is currently the team? The team's still pretty small. It's like around, you know, eight to 10 people, um, yeah. Perfect. Are you hiring currently? So maybe uh, we have some good devs in the audience. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think we're actually uh, not hiring right now. Or we're it's uh, I think the teams that are pretty good size and we're we're working really hard to get this stuff out. So uh, we're still like hiring a little bit here and there, but it's not like a we're not trying to grow the team a lot more, at least in the short run. Um, but yeah. Brilliant, brilliant. So When I when I look into the, the general user statistics yeah, of, of our community, for example, we see that about 95% are male. <laughs> And I think that's general in, in the space. So what's your opinion? How can we onboard more female founders and, and female users to the blockchain space? And, but what is the reason that it's not that attractive? Um, yeah, that's a good question. I think, I think crypto in general seems that to be a pretty male dominated space. Um, and I think that's like always maybe a little, maybe that's like kind of the reason it's a perpetuating or like self perpetuating kind of cycle. Um, I'm not really sure like what the great answer is. I think obviously getting more female founders, getting more like female ambassadors, getting just like more women involved in the space is always good. Um, and in terms of like the developer community, I've, I've actually personally found it to be super friendly and welcoming. Um, and so I think, you know, uh, would just like encourage more women like to, to do that um, and to get to know people. Like I personally always found it's like super friendly and, and the people are quite nice and, you know, yeah, like, so I've always had great experiences. Um, but yeah, I don't know, like I think encouraging more women to, to kind of do, um, to explore the space and like see for themselves like how, how friendly it is, I think would be, would be good. Definitely, yeah. So I can, I can confirm it, yeah. So it, it's much more efficient and, and much more fun, yeah, to have a, a mixed team, yeah. So we have currently, I think, six women on our team. And it's it's such a, a great atmosphere, yeah, working together. And yeah, I think that that uh, need to be improved yeah, in future, definitely. Yeah, and also I think in terms of the user base itself, yeah, there there is a, 
a huge uh, group yeah of of young women that never get in touch yeah with the whole space and i think it's also important yeah to to have here some some equal distribution yeah yeah definitely awesome awesome yeah perfect so uma thank you very much yeah for your time so we are coming close to to uh, one hour here um could you tell the audience a little bit more how to follow your project and uh, how to get in touch yeah, with with the community yeah so definitely so i think one of the best ways is you know following our twitter just at succinct labs um that generally we like post all our updates as we come up with new stuff trying out our docs trying out the demo i think is also great it's linked in our bio um and then yeah like if you are interested in signing up for like the early partner um if you're a developer you're interested in using it i think it's pretty like easy to use but also like if you want to sign up for the early partner form if you want like extra help or guidance that's also like something you can do um or join our discord um but yeah i think following our twitter is probably the best possible way um and yeah Amazing, amazing. Thank you very much. Yeah. So highly appreciated all the the knowledge that you shared with us. So I've learned a lot today and I'm sure that the audience also enjoyed the AMA. And yeah, so I hope uh, to talk to you soon when you have some new exciting milestones to announce and we will follow yeah, your progress closely. Yeah, that'd be awesome. Thank you very much, Uma. Yeah, thanks And for having me. Thank you very much to the listeners. Please, yeah, once again, like and retweet this AMA to spread the word about Succinct Labs telepathy protocol because I think this is a major, major milestone here yeah, for security in the web free space. Thank you very much and see you next time. See you. Thanks for having us. See you. Bye. Bye-bye. This recording has been prepared and made available by VVV. It is for informational purposes only and should not be considered a solicitation to sell, buy or subscribe to any financial instruments or products. VVV does not express any opinion as to the present or future price of any instrument mentioned in this recording. The information provided in this recording is believed to be valid and accurate on the date it is first published, but VVV, along with its directors, officers and employees, does not accept any liability for any loss arising from the use of this information as it may change in the future without notice. Any decision made by a party after listening to this recording shall be on the basis of its own research and not based on the information and opinions provided by VVV.